Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hip Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. I got a new little notice. We didn't get the your recordings in progress notification. Oh, you didn't know what to do. I know. I was confused. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, where are you? You look, this is a different part of your house. I changed my desk around. So I'm ah, just, yeah. So you're seeing the back wall. It's yeah. a different angle. It's just a different angle. I'm uh, uncomfortable yeah. because your front door is at your back. What if somebody came in? That'd be scary. My dog is right behind me. She would kill oh. it. <laughs> Belle would take care of it. Yeah. Uh, nice. I got to see you last week. I know. It was so fun, right? How good was that? <laughs> uh, it was very fun. We yeah. were Friday night after a very long day. We were on our way to bed and you and Tim roll into the driveway. And yeah. I'm like, I'll just leave the car. And then me and Celine ended up on the porch for like two and a half hours drinking. Which wine. was really fun. That it was, was so fun. That was fun. Yeah. Um, and the festival was really fun. It was. You did a good job. Thanks. Amy did a fantastic job. And my whole Amy my did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. It was really great. It was great to see. I hadn't met Ellen before. So that was fun. Ella. Ella. That was fun. Not to be um, confused with Ellen, who does the design. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I threw an N on her name. I didn't mean to. Ellen. Ella. Um, Celine was there. Amy was there. Sarah was there. I mean, and then you go into the, the different leaders of different groups and the volunteers. I mean, that was a powerhouse of women all in one location. I think Bentonville was vibrating after we left. I was vibrating after we left. That sounds wrong. but It does sound a little weird. Can we change? Can we nip that? <laughs> it was a great weekend. Uh, it was everything. I think we're going to have Amy on. She doesn't know it yet. But Good. I think we're going to have Amy on to just talk about it. Uh, but We need to have Allie back on too. So let's not forget that. I know she didn't respond to my text. We're just chatting today. Everybody's like getting the back story. (laughs) Like what is happening? I'm still a little tired from the festival. Christy's got a little event coming up. She's getting a little stressed about. (laughs) I'm doing pretty good. Honestly, I'm doing pretty good. But that, and that also brings me to another point. Like we're going to be releasing the course on May 16th for anybody out there listening. The the files will drop on the 16th, but um, if you want to do another Q and a on the girls gone gravel 
group here. We should do that for. Oh yeah, we should. For, some people, people were asking stuff. about it. I just didn't have any capacity to like talk about it. it. Yeah, Fran, but we had five or six people that were at the festival that were doing the 100. I think they were meeting up. Oh yeah. So yeah, I'd be happy to, to do that after the course drops to do a little Q and a with everybody if, if we're interested. So yeah, let's get that on the calendar. Cool. How was your trip back from Bentonville? Super easy. I mean, I don't think a lot of people understand how close Emporia actually is to Bentonville. The, the best way to say is like, if you're going to ride the unbound XL, you're actually riding more miles. That's crazy. Scotty should just ride her bike to Bentonville or to Emporia. She could ride her bike to Emporia because it's only like 200 and some miles and then do the XL. That's that's a full-on Lael Wilcox move. (laughs) That wouldn't be a (laughs) full-on. Except for Lael would ride from like Alaska or something. Right. I mean, Lael, but still, I mean, you know, Scotty Scotty has kids. She can't do that shit. She can't be gone for like three weeks riding her bike to an event. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it was fun. It was really great to meet so many awesome women. And I, my favorite part of the day was when we went and did our Saturday rides and watching, you know, the group of women that I was with literally improve their skill set on every single climb and descent. You were with the true beginners. Yes. And there were a couple of them that hadn't done that distance before, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was 20 yep. miles. Right. So, so, I mean, it was a was slow really and steady fun. pace. We got it done as a group and like Marley Blonsky was the other ride leader. Um, and we had, we just had a great time and like, we'd stop and wait on people and regroup. And, you know, I would depart a little bit of wisdom and so would Marley. And by the end, some of these women were descending. I, I mean, I was like, holy crap. I don't even think I can keep up with her now. Like it was so fun to, to watch. There were a lot of smiles and you had to come up that big yeah. hill coming back. So it's a good sign when there are smiles coming up the hill. Yes, that was, you know, we, that was the thing. I was like, okay, we got to try to make it up. You know, lots of, it's a, that's a steep little hill, but yeah, anyway, it's like it was a little super fun. F you at the end of a ride. It's a little kick in the nuts. So. <laughs> um, anyway. Well, we had this conversation, today's podcast guest, a few weeks ago, and I really yep. enjoyed it. Um, yeah, we're talking great. about. Amber Neben, who a lot of women may not know, she's brand new to the gravel cycling community, but she's an Olympian. Yeah. I think the three Olympics. She's done some stuff, ladies. She's done some really kick ass stuff. And she's 46. She was the oldest. Did she say she was the oldest Olympian? She was the oldest endurance Olympian, endurance Olympian there for Team USA at this past Mm -hmm. Olympics. And she was 11 seconds off the podium at 46. 11 seconds. Yeah. So there's a lot of great wisdom that Amber imparts to us in this conversation from her, uh, her journey in cycling for years and years and years in cycling. And she's racing the Grand Prix. Yeah. That's awesome. We will be seeing her at Unbound. So I think y'all are really going to enjoy this interview with Amber Nieben. To live your healthiest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. It provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live a longer, healthier life. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age, which is the rate you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing we love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health. 
like food, supplements, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. And did you know that you can use your HSA, HRA, and FSA to buy any Inside Tracker plan? Which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax-free dollars. Oh, and it gets better. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with the science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, visit insidetracker.com slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com slash feisty. Hi, Christy. Hi, how are you? I thought you were going to start. And I, it wasn't going to be me this week. Well, you never know. know, Kind of, it's like, I think we need to flip a coin. (laughs) That would be way too much preparation. I know. Hey, it looks like you're cold. Is it cold where you are? It's chilly. Yeah. It's chilly. You have the door open. Well, it's because it gets, it helps with the light, but yeah, it's, it's rainy and cold here, which I'm I'm really over it. It's better not be like that in Bentonville next week. Yeah. Better not. Uh, okay. I think our guest is in California though. Are you in California, Amber? I am in California, Lake forest, which is, uh, orange County. Oh, so you've got perfect weather, huh? For the most part. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No complaints. (laughs) Okay. Well, that voice that's joining us today is Amber Neben, who I met. Well, I didn't really meet, but I stalked around when I did base camp over the winter and, uh, well, that she was in the Lifetime Grand Prix series. So I was like, oh, we got to have Amber on our podcast because uh, she had a lot of great things to teach during base camp. So I'm super excited to have you join us today, Amber. I'm excited to be here. It's fun to talk to you ladies. You're already making me smile. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, we've got to start recording. Yeah, we were talking pre, pre-recording and Amber was drop, dropping knowledge bombs like crazy. And I was like, hit the record button. <laughs> Always happens. <laughs> Okay. I, we are really like, we always say we're, we like to be really casual. We don't do a lot of research, but then I was doing some more research on you. Cause I do know that you went to the Olympics and I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is so cool. So you've got to give us your story in cycling. Okay. So tell, tell us who you are and how you got into cycling and all the things. Wow. That's, that's a loaded question. So <laughs> let me see if I can do this within the context of a short answer. So yeah, a long time ago, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, I got into cycling. Um, I started as a soccer player, moved into distance running, had loads and loads of stress fractures as a distance runner, eventually surrendered running, went to graduate school, was in a doctorate program. And cycling found me and I got into racing before I actually knew how to ride a bike. I had a huge engine from being an athlete, being a distance runner, and I could compete as a cyclist. And of course I got into mountain bike racing without having any skills, but I had a strong engine. So one races worked my way up to pro, but the good thing was I got invited to do this huge road race in Idaho, the HP women's challenge on a local team. Won a stage there, which actually put me on the world championship road cycling team back in 2001. And from that moment forward, I stayed on the road with regards to cycling. And I've been um, competing full time. Well, I shouldn't say I'm not really competing full time anymore, but 
for many years, for about 20 years, I competed full-time as a road cyclist and managed to win two individual world championships, a team time trial world championship, and the three Olympic games, competed in 17 world championships, won six national championships. I think I've been in trauma centers in five different countries. Um, I've been in the emergency oh. emergency room a few times. Um, These are and- stats that we usually don't get. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know what? So one of my big things with people is like, okay, so yeah, I've been to three Olympic games and I've wanted to and chased winning a gold medal. Right. And I never did it. I mean, I won the world championships, but I, I never won a medal at the Olympics, but you know what? Those fourth and fifth places and those trauma centers seem to speak to people more than the victories do. So, um, along the way, I'm not really afraid to talk about that stuff because I know ultimately that being a champion is about being a conqueror and you know what, we have to go through that hard stuff and we have to be okay when we chase our dreams and we get close and just understand that there's so much in the process, um, that is gold that is actually more valuable than the gold we chase. So yeah, I don't mind talking about that stuff. I'm just writing some quotes down. (laughs) (laughs) I bet we wrote the same one down, Catherine. Um, that's amazing. I love your attitude. Which Olympic games did you go to? I competed in Beijing in 2008, uh, London in 2012. And then in Tokyo in 2021, I was 46 years old. So I was actually the oldest athlete, uh, the oldest endurance athlete there. So it was pretty special to make it back number one. And then I was fifth missing the podium by 11 seconds. So a little bit a combination of just an amazing race and a lot of heartbreak all at the same time. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. So when you're like saying I don't race anymore, like from last year. Yeah. You don't race full time anymore. (laughs) Right. Pretty much. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I have not said the word retire. I'm not a hundred percent sure moving forward. I'm just in this kind of a sabbatical year trying to, really pray about assess what I want to do. Um, but I, I have had a very fulfilling career on the road. And if 2021 was my walk-off season to be, to be fifth at the Olympic games, to get hit by a car, break my pelvis and come back and get fourth at the world championships. You know, that was, that was a really special year that really encapsulated my 20 years, um, and everything that I've been through. So I'm pretty, satisfied and content and thankful to what God's done through all that. So I'm okay with that. At the same time, I still love to ride my bike. And so I'm dabbling in this gravel thing, just getting crushed (laughs) Um, and trying to figure out, you know, how serious do I want to be next year? So I'm having fun this year, um, enjoying just trying new stuff and challenging myself in a new way right now um, while I sort of sort through decisions and next steps. When we say dabbling, you're in the lifetime Grand Prix series. <laughs> yeah, somehow I got into that. I was just like, I was baffled. Like I, I saw the entry and I was like, Hmm, you know, I was thinking about gravel racing. I'm like, Oh, let me throw my name in the hat. They're not going to pick me. And the next thing I know, I got this email that I was in the series and I was like, row, row. um, I better, I better get a gravel bike and a mountain bike and figure out how to ride knobby tires again and, and roll around on the dirt. So yeah, I, I have the engine. I'm still working on the skills. I think it's going to take a year, um, just being in the races and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. You know, the other thing that's really different is the nutrition of these events. And 
you know, being 47 now, um, yeah, my body's been through a lot. So my metabolic machinery isn't probably as efficient and robust as it was 20 years ago. So figuring out how to fuel my body, um, and have enough energy to get through these events, uh, is tricky for me and might actually be the trickiest thing, but I'm, I'm up for the challenge right now. Um, and we'll deal with the failures as they come. What are you leaning into to figure that out? Um, trial and error, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that I've been really good at over the years is just learning to listen to my body. Um, I've, you know, dealing with injuries very young. Um, one of the things I, I learned was this idea to learn how your body will whisper to you. Um, you know, and if you listen to the whispers and take care and act on those, you can really save yourself a lot of heartache from bad injuries or really a long time off. And, you know, with, with the injuries, with pacing, you know, being a time trial athlete and having to pace across certain distances and being a climber, you know, being able to manage my, my level of exertion across distances, you know, I've, I've learned to listen to my body to really push the edge. And so with nutrition, you know, trying to cue into those, those things that I'm hearing. Um, I obviously the science is there and Tim Cusick is my coach and, you know, it's like, okay, we know what the science says, but can I actually do that is the question. You know, when I try to do that, my gut doesn't really take that very well. And so it's really trying to, you know, trial and error it my way through it all. So it was ugly at Sea Otter. I bonked pretty bad, but yeah just kind of figure out how to get more in me. It was pretty warm too. I mean, it, it didn't start off that way, but yeah, it, you know, it was actually, I had been up there for a few days and it had been like in the nineties. So yeah. it was a bit cooler than it had been. And being from Southern California, it was, you know, I'm a little bit used to the heat. So it wasn't so much the heat. It was more, it was a true energy knock that got me. Um, <laughs> you know, those, you know, them. you're just like, man, I think I'm going to eat my arm right now. <laughs> It's like, no, I better not do that. I'm going to need that later. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because I am definitely not an elite athlete. We're the same age. Yeah. And, and I had to start working with a dietitian this year because in the last year I've started to know, like I would be doing a super easy trainer ride in the morning and I would bonk Mm. on it or even like at a, a CrossFit workout. For example, Mm -hmm. yesterday I was at the gym and I realized, oh, I did like between Easter Sunday a long walk and then a run. I was like, Oh, I didn't have enough food yesterday. And I was in the middle of my workout. I just ran out of energy. And that had never happened to me before. Mm-hmm. It just started happening in the last couple of years. And I think it's some of that, like you're talking about that metabolic shift, which is probably much more heightened for you as an elite athlete. Yeah. I can't wait until, you know, the researchers spend some time with women and aging women and, and certainly start to figure this out. I think it is a complicated issue. I don't think it's black and white. And then you have to deal with the menstrual cycle issues that come into play, but well, by the time yeah. we get to the 45 and 55 year olds, we'll be 80. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, they're doing, they're doing, I'm going to take this opportunity to promote this book called next level. That's coming out May 17th. <laughs> There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. I guess we just got to figure it out before the science does. So that's kind of what I'm doing yeah. through this season, through the trial and error, um, and just not being afraid to try some different things, see if I can sort through some strategies that'll be helpful for myself and maybe some of the other athletes that I end up working with. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think one of the dangers is, you know, women in this age group, it's, you start to gain weight pretty easily and then you start under fueling yourself. And that actually does the opposite. 
it causes more stress on the body, which can cause more weight gain. Yeah. And I was actually listening to a podcast list last week and they were saying sometimes what people think are symptoms of perimenopause are actually low energy availability Mm -hmm. because you start like under eating and then you're, you know, you're not having enough calories in your system. So the brain fog, the not sleeping well at night, sometimes if you just like eat some more carbs, you actually will feel better. Yeah, no, agree. I'm actually working through that with an athlete that I coach right now. Um, she's on that end of the spectrum. Me, on the other hand, I don't have an issue eating. So, you know, when you do these really huge rides and you burn, you know, 3000, 4,500 calories on a ride, it's, it's one of those things where, you got to replace that on top of what you eat. So I think what gets tricky is just filling in the macros. You know, if you start to think about a certain percentage of carbohydrates, when you're eating four to 5,000 calories a day, it's like, whoa, that's a lot. And so figuring the right macro blend to really not overwhelm your digestive tract is what gets tricky. And then like, you're feeling just your body's ability to absorb the nutrition itself, the carbohydrates and, and use the energy becomes trickier. Yeah. That makes sense. So are you doing unbound? I am doing unbound. Well, yes, I'm on the list. I have an entry and I I have some work to do, but yeah, I'm excited. It's my favorite. (laughs) What is, what is your favorite? What's, what's the best part about it? Well, I, I mean, Emporia is my hometown. So obviously like, I love the way this, this community gets behind the gravel community. Um, I think the course is, um, surprisingly breathtakingly beautiful. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, like people just don't really anticipate that it's going to look like it looks out there. Mm-hmm. I always remind athletes to make sure you look up and look around because, you know, a lot of times you get your head down and you're racing and you're not paying attention to what you're, what's, what's going on around you and the scenery out there is just, it's just so pretty. Um, but I love the way the checkpoint towns turn out. I love the finish line and the start line at the event. You know, it's just, it's just, it's pretty cool to see people come out to celebrate. I mean, obviously the pros that come, that's exciting, but, but the part that I love is those everyday athletes that are really taking on that big challenge. And as much as staying out there until three or three 30 in the morning to greet the last of the riders makes me tired right now thinking about it, that there's no way I'm missing that. It's, it's my favorite. So. I love to hear that, you know, Catherine, you were in base camp with me. And one of the things that I thought was so cool or so special for me as a coach is like when you're working in a community of athletes and you have people of all different levels, right. Mm -hmm. But to be able to take them through a process and get them to a finish line and help them be better and achieve these small steps that, yeah, they do it on the bike, but then they can transfer it into their yep. everyday life. Right. You know? So yeah, it's so cool to see that in, in the everyday athlete. I think that's, what's so special about gravel to be honest with you and why I'm so excited yeah. to be a part of it is it just seems so accessible to like everybody. I hope so. Yeah. I guess this will be like, you haven't gotten to race just with the average athlete in your throughout your career. Right. Not really. So, I mean, I've done group rides, right? So as a road cyclist, you have your local group rides in your communities where you do rides like that. But as far as like competing, no, this will be really the first, you know, true example of doing that. I did the Shasta gravel hugger, which was kind of my first gravel ride, to be honest. Um, I'm still actually, my bike's broken right now, trying to get that fixed. So I can do some gravel riding before I go out to BWR and, and into unbound, you know, Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's fun just to be in the mix with guys 
and then with people of like every level, it's, it's pretty cool. Have you ridden 200 miles before? No, I haven't. Um, in fact, you know, it's funny because people are like, they know my Palmares, right? They know my resume and it's like, they think I'm going to be awesome at this stuff. And I was like, hang on a second. You know, number one, these are, these events are like, so on the extreme ends of what I do. It's, it's really a challenge. I mean, the mountain biking is a way different demand. Um, obviously the skill side of it comes into play. And then you talk about a 200 mile race and racing 12 hours is very different or 10 hours is racing very different than like a 40 to 45 minute, you know, oh, yeah. super threshold time trial, you know? So yeah, I'm, I'm going to get stretched. Um, I'm looking forward to some longer rides coming up, but I don't think I'll be doing a train. I mean, I think unbound will pretty much be my first experience at 200 miles. I'll, I'll prep as best I can to set that up, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy hard. I know that. It's amazing. Is your husband coming as SAG? Yeah. He okay. is. Um, we need to talk to some people to figure stuff out. Cause I'm like, I we need- can help you. Okay. <laughs> I can, I can give you all the tip. I, yeah. I was at those stops last year watching Okay, things yeah. people did wrong. And the thing I'm not afraid to admit that there's a lot of stuff I don't know. So I will pick your brain. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. So did you race with, uh, Mari Holden? Then? I did. Okay. Yes. We yes. had her on the podcast and she, awesome. she switched. She's doing gravel now. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. so Mari Holden was one of my first teammates. Um, I was one, I was on that original T-Mobile USA national team back in 2002. There were eight of us. And on that team, Mari was on that team. Sarah Hammer, who tuned out to be a multiple Olympian world champion. Um, Dotsie Bausch was on that team. Kim Anderson was on that team. And, and so, yeah, Mari's, Mari's a very special person. You know, I was just, I was so new to the sport and I was so talented too. So I had a lot to learn. I had a lot of talent, but I had a lot to learn. And Mari was so kind and generous with her wisdom and knowledge in taking me aside and and really being a friend as much as a teammate to me. So I'm, she's, she's great. I love her. Yeah. You were talking a little bit about this before we hit record when I was like, shoot, we should be recording. But I would love, since you've had such a long career in cycling, like what have you seen a little bit of the evolution of women, especially this is a big year, right? Like the women are going to ride the tour. Is it this year the first time? Yeah. Yeah. this year. Um, Yeah. So yeah, historically there's actually been a women's tour to France back when I started in 2002, you know, we, there was a tour to France, um, over the course of the 20 years, there's been versions of the tour to France, but an actual ASO who puts on the men's tour de France presented tour de France for the women, multi-stages, you know, that happening for a first time this year, which is fantastic. Um, you know, you're seeing the prize money like Perry Roubaix being matched, uh, to the men tour Flanders being matched to the men. So, I mean, it's like, I think back to the races that my teammates, so my teammates and I won, um, tour Flanders three times, Miriam Melkers won it a couple of times. And, you know, the prize money this year, the total purse, I think was $40,000. And I'm going to guess that our team probably split about 500 euros between six of us and, and the staff, you know, back then. So it's fantastic to see women getting these opportunities, you know, the, the minimum salaries that are coming along, um, just the number of teams competing at that level. So there's more opportunities for women to ride. 
The TV coverage is fantastic. You know, just watching the Perry Roubaix race with my husband, you know, I've always said it's one of those things where if you cover women's cycling, like you do men's, like you watch men's and they have the helicopters and multiple cameras on the motos, you know, you do the same thing in the women's race and you see how interesting and engaging and fun it is to watch these races. And sure enough, you know, Perry Roubaix was just an exciting race to watch period, you know, just being a sports fan. So I love seeing it. And then on the gravel side, just seeing the attention the women are getting and the opportunities that are coming along. It's just, it's special. It's fun. It's fun to see more and more opportunities for, for everybody. We've often said it's fun to talk to the women because like the guys at the pointy end, a lot of times they're like, and X world tour pro and X world. And the women are like, and she has this side hustle and this business and this entrepreneurial thing. And, you know, so people are working 40 hours a week and then they're training and racing. So they have these really interesting stories. Yeah, I I would agree. And it's, I don't know what it is. If it's just because we we come It's that you split 500 euros. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I made a thousand euros a month and it was like, okay, we just, we just, we just won 60 euros each, you know, winning, like I won the women's version, well, at the time, Turtle Ode, you know, the women's version of Turtle France and it's like, all right, guys, we got about 85 euros each, you know, let's go out to dinner. Let's go get a baguette. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've been, I have a friend, a good friend who's, um, her fiance, she's a professional golfer Mm. and watching the discrepancy there. I'm like, as soon as I'm done with this cycling thing, I'm going to move over and help those women. Cause that's just, it's the same thing. It's, 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 it's bullshit. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, I understand like the, the, the argument that talking about where, you know, the money's where the, the viewers are, where the fans are. Well, if you don't try to create the fans, that's a pretty lame excuse ultimately, you know, but anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's so important for women to get the TV coverage, you Mm -hmm. know, and for them to get quality TV coverage, like it's happened at the Olympics and world championships. And now more recently with some of these bigger um, world tour events. So, I mean, it's women are strong and powerful and very effective bike riders and racers. And we're athletes too, regardless of the sport. So hopefully with you know, golf, it's like tennis, you know, tennis for a while, it took some time. And now you think about the sport of tennis and it's, it's actually more interesting to watch the women play tennis Agreed. than it is the men. So hopefully in the future, it's the same. Yeah. Well, it's interesting also to watch, especially on the longer distance gravel events and, and, and the, you know, when you get to like the ultra distance events, you're looking like somebody at Lil Wilcox where she's beating men. All right. But mm-hmm. women are getting pretty close, you know, at mid South Florida, Crescenzo was what Christy only 14 minutes. Yeah. Off the lead. Yeah. And uh, she they just rode a, another 50 miles. Well, mm. and also yeah. they rode in a group the whole time and she was riding the majority of it where she was doing it herself. Bridging, like if, yeah. she, if she would have had that group to ride with and not been as fatigued, you know, it's just, it's interesting to see. And as we were talking about just the whole physiology piece, like, as we understand our physiology more, our, is that going to help women get that extra edge to get closer on those longer distances? Yeah, very well could. I mean, the way women are physiologically different than men, you know, our ability to use fat would help us in longer and longer events. And then as we get better at managing our nutrition and fuel off the bike, 
in training and then in racing, certainly the science of training is coming a long ways too. And women are doing more and more work and absorbing more and more work on the training perspective, you know, and the equipment's equal now too. So, yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see as these, with these longer events, um, what's going to happen over the course of the next couple of years. It's exciting. I'm curious, like in the fueling conversation, like over the course of your career, because at one time, right, like the whole thing was be as thin as you can be. So you can be fast. Like how, how did, how have you learned to fuel yourself? Cause obviously it's something you're thinking about now and you're talking to your athletes about like, and the value of that and the importance of that. Cause I, I think that is one of the problems. Like we have a lot as women, like diet culture has told us something that doesn't match with athletic performance. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the things that was maybe good for me, um, as hard as it was for my roommate, I had a roommate in college who had anorexia. And so like, I kind of watched her struggle with that and it really opened my eyes, um, to that whole side of things. And I don't know, I guess for me, I've always been a picky eater. So as a kid, there weren't a lot of things that I liked. So I've always been a picky eater and my gut over the course of the last, you know, 15 years, 20 years, isn't very happy with a lot of things. So I'm still a picky eater. Um, but what I know is I can't ride my bike unless I'm healthy and I'm not healthy if I'm not eating right. And I'm not strong on the bike if I'm not fueling properly. So I've just gotten to the point of just like, you know, I want to be healthy. I want to be strong. And so I'm more concerned about finding the right way to eat and feel myself to keep myself in that state. And, you know, as far as encouraging other people, I think one of the things that becomes really important is understanding that everybody has different bodies. Um, and me, I was always a climber, you know, I was never a sprinter. So to, for me to try to be a sprinter, like that was just not going to happen. And, So for someone who was a sprinter to try to be a climber, you know, that wasn't going to happen either. So it was really became this idea of team as well. And understanding that within a team, you had people who had different gifts and abilities. And as they embraced their own strengths and made, you know, took advantage of what they could do, then that team as a whole was better. And they all, they had their opportunities to, to have success in some races. And I had opportunities in other races, but you know, ultimately when you bring that, turn that around and bring it back to eating, it's like, you know, you got to make yourself the best version of you and you can fight your body type a lot, or you can learn to love it and fuel it and feed it and be the best version of you. And if, if your, you know, body type is a little more round and you're just super strong and powerful, you know, own it and embrace it. If you're, a stick, skinny, thin person, you know, that eats 18 times more than somebody else and stays that way, you know, own it, embrace it, feel yourself, be strong. And don't worry if you can't sprint, do your best at being a climber, you know? And so it's really just kind of just being your best version of you. And yeah, my thinking with fueling has always just been healthy and strong more than, you know, what I look like just because I've been broken so many times, I'd much prefer to be healthy and strong. I think that's um, just really good advice and something that, you know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that diet culture is fading out. Yeah, I do too. And I think we're seeing that now with more and more body types being embraced Mm -hmm. in cycling, at least, which I think is really cool. Um, And the other thing is you see different body types (laughs) throwing the hammer down on. (laughs) 
people that quote look more like traditional um, old school cyclists. So that's good too. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. I like seeing that. <laughs> uh, one of the other things that I read about you is uh, a while ago, you, you had skin cancer, you had melanoma mm-hmm. and um, you know, we're all out in the sun a lot, gravel cycling. Like, can you tell us, were you in the sun a lot? Like how, I know yeah. how that happened, but right. Like <laughs> how, how do you deal with that when your job is to be in the sun? Right. Right. So I had a melanoma on my back. It was, um, just on the left side of my spine and thankfully we caught it early. So it was a, it was a surgical removal. So I was, I was under general anesthesia and they had a, it was a pretty big cut. It left me with a scar that's about five inches long along my spine. Um, just for a little tiny, you know, speck of cancer, but they had to dig deep to make sure they, they got all the margins. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess being in the sun, you know, as a cyclist, you don't think about your back being exposed. Um, but your the clothing we wear doesn't normally have UV protection. So one of the things I think we can do nowadays is if there is clothing that has UV protection, we can use that. Um, you know, I do regularly get skin checks. So I still once or twice a year, we'll see my dermatologist and my oncologist actually, and just do skin checks. And my dermatologist is a, has been very proactive over the last, basically I, the cancer was in 2007. So since it happened, she's just super proactive. And if there is anything questionable, she cuts it off or burns it off. Um, and we just, we try to nip it before it becomes an issue. The hardest areas for me right now to keep healthy are my lips actually. And yeah. my ears. Um, the tops of my ears I have to be very careful with, but every time I go in, she burns my bottom lip off. And that's actually makes me pretty nervous because, you know, with our respiration, just breathing and drinking all the time, anything you put on, it doesn't stay on. So that's the the hardest part um, as far as keeping that covered. Then for the rest of my body, if I can wear arm warmers or some sort of skin covering on my arms, you know, in the summer I do. Um, otherwise I sort of try to balance, um, using sunblock and not using sunblock to be honest, because sometimes I'm, I'm one of those people where I'm just like, man, I don't know what's worse. Is the sun worse than the chemicals we put on our bodies or vice versa? So I tend to kind of do a little of both. You're going to want those UV blocking clothes at unbound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. That's a long day out there. Huh? It's a long day and there's, there's a lot of no shade. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the crazy thing is cause like, I'm like, I have the same kind of thing, especially with my lips. Like I'm out there all the time, all the time. I mean, I, I had, I've had this conversation with Betsy Welch with Bella news. It's just like, I'm such an outdoor person mm-hmm. that it's just, it's such, it's always a big struggle for me. And, you know, I'm, I'm literally my, it's the same thing. It's like, is the sunscreen better or the shade? Like, how do you balance all of it? So I wear lots of hats and all, you know, it's just like, it's still, I'm still, it's still not enough, but I'm, I'm also just like, I'm, you're not going to catch me inside if I have to be, if I can be outside. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to diet too. You just think that if you have a really good, healthy all around diet, I think there's probably, some benefit in protecting the rest of our body, but yeah, I mean, there's just danger in being exposed all the time. Yeah. I've literally never thought about the lips and that makes 
so much. I mean, I did triathlon for years, yeah. tons of open water swimming, like you're and you always can't, there. you can't keep the sun off of them. Like you said, yeah. it's just like, because of exactly, like you said, at sea otter, mine were just a mess. And I was like, damn it. I know. You know? And except for everything I could, but when we were all wearing masks. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> I was just thinking you could have like a little like lip hat. I know. I, I've, I've thought about how to invent that. I'm like, that would be such a cool invention, you know, or like a fake mustache that covers your, like you covers know. your, <laughs> that would be amazing if we all started wearing like fake mustaches that kind of had a little shelf to cover our lips. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That thing would drive me nuts. Sorry. <laughs> I think you'd look at the mustache, Christy. Yeah. I've got one on my finger there. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, well, Amber, I know, like we mentioned a couple of times, uh, I was involved in the base camp program over the winter, which is a really great program was, I, I got involved because I was like, I just need something to get my general cycling fitness back, which was, and, and have like a group to train with. So, uh, you coach to that. And then do you coach into, indiv- you coach individually as well, right? We do. Yeah. The same program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the base camp program is fantastic. It's, it's, uh, it's a very special community. It's this combination of really high level coaching and education combined with a really amazing virtual community. And every year it blows my mind how real and active the community is. And so you just have this combination of motivation coming from accountability and being surrounded by just really cool people that are doing the same thing and working through the same program. Um, And then the learning and understanding why you're doing what you're doing. And then from my side, you know, I also understand how important it, the psychological side is and the mental side and the heart side of training and to be able to help people just believe in themselves and be better and, and learn how to train um, is always to me so fun to be a part of. Um, those are the skills, you know, I talk about PX4, which are our championship intangibles. And those are those are things that you can develop and learn by doing hard things or going through a training process. And they apply to your cycling, but you can also take them into your real life. So yeah, base camp is a special place. And I would, you know, if you guys are out there looking for something to do in the winter, definitely check it out. It's joinbasecamp.com and you can save a spot right now for $25. And yeah, it's great people. Um, the coaching is top notch. I'm a coach in there. Tim Cusick's a coach in there. Uh, Rebecca Rush leads some rides in there on Zwift. Uh, so we have a really cool community um, and really take take pride in being present, um, as leaders, um, and teaching and, and just being a part of it. When yeah. does the it, winter training start? Um, you know what, it starts the middle of November and goes through March. So it's, it's an excellent time in the sense of no matter what your goals are, you need to work on your aerobic engine and people don't understand how important it is to go slower, to go faster. And going back to this idea of fueling and getting your body to use fats and to burn carbs when it's time, but just really getting, getting that all dialed in, building a huge aerobic engine and setting yourself up to move into your, whatever your event goals are going forward, whatever discipline you are, you come out of base camp really ready to, you know, move forward with those. So yeah, it's, um, and it's over the winter, you know, most people aren't in Southern California, so they're stuck on the trainer. And so to have Yep. Have a community to ride bikes with while you're indoors on a trainer is pretty fun. And we do some special challenges too. Once, 
once a cycle training cycle, we do challenges um, that really teach people like the Alpdues climb we use or the Alpdues Swift climb, you know, to really help people learn how to climb and, and think through pacing and fueling on climbing. And there's a time trial challenge. There's a metric challenge to think about riding longer distances. And there's a gravel challenge we do in there where we get them to stage race. So yeah, it's, it's a fun place. We've got unbound on Zwift now. So maybe we can incorporate that next year. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That would be a long trainer ride. <laughs> <laughs> you could do the hundred. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, they have shorter is, distances, so. yeah, we could do that. Cause we do, we do the metric century, but we could do a Imperial. We could do a hundred miler. Um, there's it enough does. people doing five hour rides in the, in the winter. Oh yeah. It could coincide with, with when registration for unbound opens in January. <laughs> That's a good idea. It is yeah. a great idea. I have to talk to you guys. Go a whole challenge around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you all do a summer program, correct? Or is that one sold out already? Um, that's with Rebecca and yeah, I think I'm not hundred percent. There may be some spots open RPI base camp with Rebecca. It's a, it's kind of base camp light. So it's not as intensive with regards to the education and the, the challenges in the community. It's focused more around Rebecca's setup to take you through some of her, um, with her and some of her training and some of her talks that she likes to, uh, bring some people in that help her. And then Tim Cusick, her coach, uh, is also my coach, but he'll okay. come in and talk a little bit of science in there as well. Cool. Yeah. It sounded like a lot of people do that community and then meet up at RPI. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's like kind of a fun, a fun meetup. Definitely. So. Yeah. Well, we'll be seeing you unbound. And then, uh, what other, what, which other, what's your buy from the grand Prix series? Which one are you planning to sit out? <laughs> I actually, I'm going to plan to do all of them. Yeah. Okay. I would do all of them. Yeah. I would not sit out any of them. People yeah. Are sitting out, I'm like, eh. I, I mean, I can't really say that any one of them fits me. So I need to do all of them and, and I'm learning too mm-hmm. and gaining experience. So having done none of them, all of them are going to be my first time. And at some point you have to gain that experience. So I'm, I'm in to give them all a try. Um, and you never know when some, you know, mechanicals or some crazy stuff right. can happen in a, an event too. So it's so unpredictable in that sense. Yeah. I know a few people had injuries and it was a bummer that they had to sit out Yeah, the first sure. event because that's not the one you want to have to miss is the, yeah. the first one in case something happens. I and know. then um, you're going to Belgium waffle ride. Will, you, will we see you at any other gravel events this summer? Yeah, I'll be at RPI. Um, Rebecca asked me to come out and I said, of course I would come out. So I'll see you guys at RPI. And then I'm thinking about gravel worlds as well. I actually went to school in Lincoln, Nebraska. So oh, um, you should do it. I know. I want to go back to Lincoln. Somebody needs to go out and give Lauren a run for her money. <laughs> I, yeah, I'll try. It's one of those things where I, I really have a lot to learn. So I'm, I'm doing my best. <laughs> that's awesome well amber how can people uh, find you and follow you and connect with you if they want to learn more yeah that's thank you um you can follow me on instagram amber neven px4 um i'm on facebook amber neven px4 twitter is just amber neven and then you can always connect with us at joinbasecamp.com as well so if you send an email to amber at joinbasecamp.com we'll see that or info at joinbasecamp.com we'll get that so yeah, happy to answer questions. Um, give me a follow. I am more positive and like to tell stories and share just my experience and how I deal with everything. So 
And I can tell, and I love it. Well, I'll be looking forward to meeting you at Unbound. Me yeah, too. I'm excited to meet you ladies too. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.